First of all, let me just say a warm welcome to you. So glad that you're with us here in Alamo. And those of you that might be watching us online, we just want to greet you and so thankful that you've joined us this morning. You know, when we sing that song, it just really touches deep down inside me. You know, there's something about that song. It's not only an anthem, it's a declaration. Yeah. We are stepping out and worshiping the God of gods, the God, the holy God, our Alpha, our Omega. But not only that, we're, we are making a declaration of who he is in our life. I will stand upon that rock. That's who he is. My, my life will stand upon his firm foundation. That's the rock. You know, when I was growing up and as a kid, I can remember the song that we used to sing as kids. It was, I will build my house upon the rock. I will build my house upon the rock. Or, I will build my house upon the sand. And if you built your house upon the sand, then the house came tumbling down. You know, I remember, it even became even more real to me this past year when we visited the Holy Land and we were on our way to the Dead Sea and we are traveling in the desert and I am seeing these sinkholes. And I asked our guide, Anna, about these sinkholes and she said, oh yes, they can appear anywhere. You just have to really, uh, you know, be careful. And I thought, well, all of a sudden that scripture in Psalms where it talks about building your house upon the rock it came alive to me. And then all of a sudden, the further we drove, I see a cluster of homes that had been caved in because they fell into the sinkhole. I want to remind you something. I want to remind you that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, my friend, you have built your house already on the rock. Yeah. You are built on yeah. the rock. Yeah. And when troubles come... Yeah. When troubles come your way, they're inevitable, they will come, but here's what you need to remember. You're on the rock. You have built your house upon the rock. I want to pray over us this morning. Father God, I thank you for your truth that you have given to every single one of us. Lord, that as believers in Jesus Christ, we know that our foundation is built upon you. You are our rock. When troubles come, we won't be shaken. We will stand firm on the firm foundation. And so, Lord, we give you praise. We give you glory. We love you, Father. And we just thank you for your sweet, sweet presence in this place today. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me amen. this morning? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Go Niners, let's get this out of the way and get the important things said here. And um, delighted that you're here, always an honor to share God's word with you, but I uh, also want to just back up um, a moment to last week and say thank you for those of you that joined us on a 21-day journey of prayer and fasting. And here's what I believe is taking place, because even though the fasting part has completed, the impact of what you did goes on in front of you. Just because we, you know, broke our fast doesn't mean that what was going to happen because of the fast has even happened yet. Do you know there's sometimes you pray about something and then God goes to work and the implication of it will show up in July. 
all right? And so you already did the work for what God may be doing in July or September, and I just want to give you the encouragement of that. You know, when we lean in as a church like that, when we conclude a time, the implications of what we did didn't get stopped. It actually got started. 21 days started our year off. We didn't complete it, and then it's done. We did it, and now it's the launching pad for the rest of the year. And so I just want to thank you for joining us in that. And, um, you know, any time that we have a time of prayer and fasting, you know, jump in with us. Um, You know, this particular one for me was, you know, avoiding all the comfort foods and sweet things. And um, at the end of the worship night, that was my official end of the fast. And um, they had the chocolate chip cookies that this church is famous for there in the green room afterwards, and I I will not apologize to tell you that I consumed more than I should have, Um, but it was really good. But um, grateful for those of you that prayed with us and came to the worship night too. It was a powerful, uh, powerful worship night and miracle night, and we'll just see what God does with that too and the stories that will come out of the fact that we gathered and did that together. Well, today I want to begin a brand new series called Filled with New Life. Filled with new life. One day Jesus came and said something, and what he said, um, I want to get from here to here. I want it to get, I don't want you just to know about something. I want you to actually get it in your spirit. And it's a core verse of this church. It's one of my life verses. Um, I hope you would make it yours. John 10 10. I'm going to ask you to read it out loud with me. Let's say it together. Uh, Jesus said, let's say it together now, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. So Jesus is saying you can live in such a way where you have the fullness of life, not just life. Do you know that you can be alive physically and not have fullness of life? And you can have physical life, but not the kind of life that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being fully alive and having the fullness of Christ living in you. Perhaps um, you, like me, and, and truly millions of others this past week, you took time because of a, a national uh, conversation thing out of a tragedy of nine precious lives um, and, and a rec- worldwide recognized name of Kobe Bryant shows up in the news. And um, I don't remember a time outside of other you know, kind of national tragedies where there were more conversations going on about life and death in a, in a concentrated period of time than this past week. And maybe you got involved in them and you turn on the news and somebody's talking about the brevity of life and the uncertainty of life and the tragedy and the loss and and all these things. And I mean, uh, you don't usually have uh, literally millions of people having life and death conversations, but it happened this week. And it reminded me how much significance those few words are that Jesus said, because when you have the life of Jesus Christ in you, it changes everything. And sometimes it shows up even in ways more uh, dramatic When difficulty is happening, the difference between people with the life of Jesus Christ and people without are are marked difference. And we have in us something where when Jesus said it, he wasn't saying, I got a new religion for you. You know, Jesus was surrounded by religious people when he said those words. He wasn't saying, I got a new religion for you. He said, I got new life for you. I have life that's better than just having physical life. I've got true life. Even regardless of the length of your life, I have life for you. And when he says full life, he's not talking about a busy life. 
We have a lot of people that have a busy life. In other words, they'd call it full because their calendar is full. How many know that having a full schedule doesn't mean you're actually happy and full? You just are busy. Like, I mean, if anything, maybe you you feel like you're missing out on something because you just have so much stuff. And and that's another thing. Just because your house is full and your, your garage is full and the storage unit you had to buy is also full and your bank account is full doesn't mean your life is full. Amen? And... And just because you even have a good life, let's say you had a good career and a good family and God blessed you with health and and a lot of good things happened and you were able to do a lot of good things, that in itself doesn't mean your life is full. There's a lot of people that live to be old, did a lot of good things, but they don't have the life of Jesus Christ living in them. Jesus would still say you are alive but not fully alive. And you missed out. And when life comes in you, the life of Jesus comes in you, You have significance, not just success. You don't just have pleasure and prosperity, you also have peace that passes understanding and a godly purpose that goes all the way into eternity. And you have comfort in the face of loss. Paul would say, um, we do not grieve like. So he's not saying we do not grieve as Christians. In fact, I actually feel like if you're fully alive, your emotions are fully alive, and when loss happens, you fully feel it. You grieve, and you deeply grieve, and some of that carries with you your whole life. But Paul says you, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. And so when the life of Jesus Christ comes in you, and you now have the hope of eternity, and you hope, have the hope of heaven, when your mind is in heaven, it changes everything about earth. And even that, even loss like that, tragic loss like that, when you have the life of Jesus Christ in you, the life of Jesus faces down death, physical death, and says these words, oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Ultimately, it's as, Paul, it's as if Paul has transported himself into the future, standing on the portals of heaven, looking back, being fully alive in heaven, and saying, you didn't win, death. You know, you took me from one place to the other, and there's some pain down there, but the ultimate sting is gone. And the ultimate um, loss is absorbed in the life of Jesus Christ. There is no ultimate loss in Christ. There's life. And so what Jesus is saying in John 10.10 is he wants me to be filled up with all the right things. He wants you to be filled up with all the right things. In fact, let let me ask you to repeat this after me. Jesus wants me to be... Full of all the right things. Let's shorten that just a bit. Jesus wants me to be full of it. And by it, you all know I'm saying all the right things. All right. I just wanted to make sure you're all with me. All right. So how do you get there? Though? How, how, do you, how do you make sure you don't just get through life, you actually have life? How do you, how do you make sure you don't even just get forgiven Because forgiveness is the beginning of Christianity, not all of Christianity. Do you know that? Fullness of life is the rest of Christianity. Forgiveness is the starting point. It starts us with God. It secures our eternity in heaven. But you can be forgiven and not live out the fullness of Jesus Christ in this life. There is a power, there is a purpose that can come into your life that goes beyond just being forgiven. And too many people come in and they they get the forgiveness of God, they get the security of heaven, but they live below the level of fullness of Christ. And so I want to take you to a New Testament passage today and then an Old Testament story that will help us. The, um, The New Testament passage was written by 
uh, the brother of Jesus, who would become a disciple of Jesus, who would become a pastor of the first century church, and would become an author of the book, a book in the Bible called James. James wrote the book of James, not real creative in the title, but uh, a lot of clarity in the book if you've ever read, read, uh, read it. Um, written 2,000 years ago, but listen to these words and see how applicable they are to right now. James chapter 4. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It is here a little while and then gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. He's not saying don't have plans, not at all. He, he's not saying don't make some future plans, and he's certainly not even saying have a, have a religious mantra at the end of every one of your future statements that says, if God wills, if God wills, if God wills. He's not, he's not saying have, have a mantra. He's, having, he's saying have a mindset. Have a mindset where you realize God is in control and you're not. And if you live in such a way where you think you're in control, even of little things that have to do with tomorrow, you are deceiving yourself and it's pretentious to live that way. But when you live with the idea that life might be short in the grand scheme of eternity, it's still important to God and you can put yourself in God's control and ultimately you have this mindset that every day you get up and you say, God, you've given me one more day, I want to live it for you. This is really what James is saying. And so in our walk with Jesus, um, we, I, I want you to have two words associated with your walk with Jesus beyond just forgiveness. And one of the words is manager, say manager. And the other word is owner, say owner. That when we come into a relationship with Jesus, he is now the owner of our lives, we are to be the managers of our lives, but too often times we get these out of, out of order and we think we're the owner and we got God to kind of help us when we need his management. Being forgiven by God does not lead to the fullness of life in Christ, it's the starting point. What you have to do is add stewardship or management so that you remind yourself you are owned by God. Now, we have a phrase in today's culture, and it's sometimes used in the context of sports. If one player truly takes out another player in a particular way, sometimes that statement comes out and says, that guy owned him, right? And sometimes it winds up even in a viral video that is humiliating to the person who got owned. And so when I'm up here telling you God owns you, I need you to not associate with humiliation. I want you to associate it with liberation. God wants to liberate you from believing that you are in control of your life because life is really fragile and it is short. And if you think you're in control, you are deceiving yourself. He wants to own you. The Bible says you are bought with a price. You are not your own. You are owned because Jesus paid a high price for you. You know the highest price anybody could ever pay for anything happened on the cross 2,000 years ago when Jesus shed his blood. Most valuable thing is the blood of Jesus Christ, the most powerful thing, the blood of Jesus Christ, the most eternal thing, the blood of Jesus Christ that touches your life. And God doesn't want us just to be forgiven, he wants us to be full of life in him. And when we are, even though our lives then still are very short in light of eternity. They're, they're vapor, they, they're, they're here today and gone tomorrow. Our lives in Christ can have purpose. 
Our lives in Christ can have peace. Our lives in Christ do not have to be lived out on fear of what's going to happen tomorrow. We're not in control of tomorrow, but we're in his control. And that changes everything. And so let me give you a series insight. And if you're taking notes, you can put these two words in there if you haven't already. Fullness of life is directly connected to me living as a manager, not an owner of everything Jesus entrusts me with. A manager, not an owner. Two transforming words in Christianity are salvation and stewardship. You get saved, he forgives you, and then you recognize that you are a steward of what he owns. You do not own your life. He bought it with a price. Living as a steward is the way that brings fullness into your life. You cannot have fullness without stewardship. I wonder if when people come to Christ, um, rather than just give them a little course on, on what it means to be a believer, I wonder if we should give them a t-shirt like the sign and sometimes you see a store sign where it says under new ownership. I wonder if we should give people a little t-shirt to say, if you committed your life to Christ, under new ownership. You know, get it on there. You know, get it in there. Under new ownership. And then if you're the manager of the new owner, you need to start adopting the core values of the owner because the owner dictates how the store is going to be operated. And, and yet all of us have a temptation. All of us can know things and then all of us can forget things. How many will admit you have forgotten some important things? Birthdays. <laughs> Valentine's Day coming up. All right. First Mother's Day, that was me. I wasn't, she wasn't my mother. The logic of a 20-year-old, new husband, new parent. I've heard about it for the last 33 years. We forget, and um, here's what we forget. We forget that, that God's in the driver's seat. And uh, the song in 2005 that Carrie Underwood sang would be irrelevant if we didn't forget because her idea of Jesus take the wheel infers that you were behind the wheel and now you need Jesus' help because you're in trouble. That is not a picture of Christianity. Picture of Christianity is you get out of the control, you get out of driving the car, he's a better driver than you are, move over to the side and don't grab control. How many actually will admit you kind of like control? Like, but you're not, honestly, you're not good at it because you don't have control. You don't have control of tomorrow. You don't have control of so many things, but when we put our lives in control of the God who is in control, now we can actually start experiencing fullness of life. If we get up every day and remind ourselves, I got to do it every day. It wasn't what I did, it's what I do today. I entrust myself again to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I am under new ownership. I want to take you to an Old Testament story now that illustrates a man of God who forgot that. Because you can be a person who's following Jesus and forget important things. You can be a person that started right, but then you get off course. You can be a person who knows the right things, but then doesn't apply them in the right way, and then other things come into your heart that God never wanted in your heart. The story I'm going to take you to, some people have a hard time swallowing the story because it's about a guy being swallowed. Aww. All right? All right. And it's a fish story, and people exaggerate fish stories, and so sometimes it's, it's a temptation to read this story in the Bible and think, ah, oh, that never happened, it couldn't have happened. Well, I'll just tell you this. Jesus actually refers to the story of Jonah and being in the body of a great fish, so it's, it's been known as Jonah and the whale, but it wasn't a whale, it was a great fish. 
And, and Jesus referred to it as if it were her historical fact. Now, when it comes to matters that are debatable, I just go with Jesus. All right, I'm a simple guy. All right, Jesus believed it. I believe it. I think it historically happened. If today that causes you any trouble, just do this. Take it as a story with a message because there is a message in this story. However, I've also come to understand this. Most people only know the first half of the story. They know that Jonah got swallowed by a whale, but it wasn't a whale, it was a fish. Um, they know that part of the story. They don't know the second half of the story, the, the lesser half of the story that ends with this and then begins. This is the last part of chapter 2 where it says, And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I use a, a, the Bible app and I have it set that every morning I get up and there's a little verse this verse has never come up. <laughs> and the Lord commanded a fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I, I, I grew up memorizing verses. I never memorized that one. It's, it's in the Bible, though. And, uh, and then there's chapter 3, verse 1. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, laying there in the vomit. <laughs> right? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. By the way, how many are glad God will come to you a second time when you didn't pay attention the first time? How many are glad he comes a third time and a fourth time and a hundredth time and he keeps on coming back? And in this case, it's no surprise that Jonah obeyed this time. First time he ran, Will, a fish, got up to him, vomit was involved, and this time he obeys. All right, the last time I say that. All right. So let me summarize what happens. Jonah goes into this great city of Nineveh and he preaches a message of repentance and judgment, the coming of ju that God's judgment is coming on you because of your evil ways. And the people get so convicted, they repent of their sin. The king even calls for a national fast. These are not, this is outside of the land of Israel. This is a neighboring country, a foreign country, and yet they are now uh, appealing to the God of Jonah to have mercy on them. And then at the end of chapter three, it says this, and when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. If that were the end of the story, this would be a great story and Jonah would be a hero and a saint. And the Wikipedia entry, would be summarized that God called Jonah, uh, Jonah ran, um, God commanded fish, I said I wasn't going to say it again, I'm going to, fish vomits, um, uh, Jonah repents, um, Nineveh repents, God relents, be a great story, and uh, we'd all celebrate Jonah as this great big hero, but the, the story doesn't end in chapter three, there is a chapter four, and uh, by the way, if you've ever wondered whether or not humans have messed with the Bible and taken things out that aren't good and put other things in, I'll just tell you, you haven't read chapter four of Jonah. Because if human beings had edited the Bible, this chapter would not be in the Bible. This whole book probably wouldn't be in the Bible. Somebody would have said, well, that's just too embarrassing. That doesn't make God look good at all. This is one of God's men. He's embarrassing to all of us. And so I'm just gonna tell you, if God can, can create the universe, I think he can write a book and make sure that people keep their hands off of what he wanted to preserve for time and eternity. And so I believe this is the, God's written word. And so when we come to chapter four, um, we learn some really interesting things about what happens when you take control and you believe your way is better than God's way and what can get in your heart. And, and, 
in the spirit of Paul Harvey, I've just dated myself, but in the spirit of Paul Harvey, here's, here's the rest of the story. Chapter four. Jonah, so the people repented, and God relented, and Jonah was really upset and angry. And so he prayed, Lord, I knew from the very beginning that you wouldn't destroy Nineveh. That's why I left my own country and headed to Spain. If you ever thought that Jonah, or maybe even heard uh, it said, that Jonah fled from Nineveh because of how um, brutal and, and vicious and evil the people in Nineveh were, they were that, but that's not why he didn't go there. It says from his own lips, I didn't go there because I knew you would have mercy. And then he tells us about God. You are kind, you are a kind and merciful God, and you are very patient, and you always show love, and you don't like to punish anyone, not even foreigners. Well, that's just good theology. That's like the New Testament right there, and this is an Old Testament story. The, the New International Version says, and you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Maybe you've heard that version. Slow to anger and abounding in love. This is where this comes from. In that context, God, you are so good and merciful in that context. Next sentence out of Jonah's mouth. Now let me die. I would be better off. I am so mad, God, just kill me. He is ticked off that God is showing grace to somebody else. Now, he was certainly grateful, because that's part of the story too. I didn't read that part. But he's grateful that he survived the fish. And he's grateful, I'm certain, about God having a plan for his life and God, God using him and all kinds of things. He's grateful that grace came to him, but he's really mad that God's willing to throw grace around just willy-nilly to anybody. Because those people don't deserve it, God. And now he's mad. And the next thing that happens is Jonah then left through the east gate of the city and made a shelter to protect himself from the sun. He sat under the shelter waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. Subtitle, Jonah is pouting. This is a prophet of God who is pouting, who's hoping against hope that eventually he sees fire come down to destroy Nineveh, and he's sitting outside of the city wanting it to happen. You thought the fish part of the story was hard to believe. Keep, keep with me here. The Lord made a vine, some translations say a leafy gourd, to grow up and shade Jonah's head and protect him from the sun. Jonah was very happy. He was ticked off a minute ago. He wanted to die, but a leafy gourd has made him really happy. <laughs> but early the next morning, the Lord sent a worm. I gotta pause there just a minute because that's just an awesome line right there in the Bible. The Lord sent a worm. The Lord sent a worm. Like, yeah, you know, that great big fish, but you know, God's got control of great big fish and God's got control of worms. Come on, you don't realize how many tools God has in his toolbox to take care of what God wants to do, and God commands a worm. And I, I sometimes imagine certain things in my mind, I, and I don't know how this really played out, but I imagine two worms side by side, and one of them's name is Joe, and so Joe all of a sudden deviates from the other worm, and the worm says, where are you going, Joe? And he says, I, I don't know, I just feel prompted to go eat on that leaf over there. Because <laughs> God can send a worm. Some of you are worried about some things today, and I'm telling you, this one little statement in this story needs to be a word of God for you. God's got more tools to help accomplish what God wants for your life than you realize, and if God wants to send a small thing or a big thing to intervene in your story, he's got control of it. Someday I think I'm going to preach a sermon, God sent a worm. 
People will wonder what I'm talking about, and then I'll go to the Bible, and then they'll realize. That was a good title right there. <laughs> God sent a worm, and the vine dried up. And during the day, the Lord sent a scorching wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, making him feel faint, and Jonah was ready to die, and he shouted, I wish I were dead. Anybody keeping track of the death wishes in this story so far? We're up to two. And God answered his prayer and killed him. End of story. Okay. Can we pause right there? How many are glad that God doesn't answer all your stupid prayers? Because this is a stupid prayer. And, and he prays, God, kill me. And God ignores him. Praise God. But God did talk to him. But the Lord asked Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And check out Jonah's answer. Yes, I do. This is embarrassing. And then he says this, I'm angry enough to die. We're up to three death wishes in this story, and this is one of the people of God. A prophet acting like this, because at some point he actually believed his ideas were better than God's ideas, and when you get out from underneath God's control and God's ownership, you start looking at life differently, and you start adopting attitudes and habits and thoughts that don't reflect God at all, and it really messes with your life. This guy's up one minute, down the next minute. He, he's, he's got, you know, more bipolar going on in one chapter than maybe anywhere in the Bible. And then... The Lord said, you are concerned about a vine that you did not plant or take care of, a vine that grew up in one night and died the next. In that city of Nineveh, there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right, they cannot tell right from wrong, and there are many cattle there also. That line kind of cracks me up. There's 120,000 people and cows. I got... Giant fish, got worms. I got some cows. God, God's concerned about the cows. 120,000 people and cows. But here's the thing. Here's the zinger of the whole story. Don't you think I should be concerned about that great city? And the book of Jonah ends with a question mark. And that's not even good literary rules. You don't end a book with a question. And yet thousands of years ago, God ended the book of Jonah with a question as if to say, I want that question to hang in every, over every generation. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I'll tell you this story because every so often I'm drawn to this story. I feel like I have to reread this story even though I know it because it convicts me and it challenges me and it encourages me all in one, and it convicts me for this reason. It convicts me to see how easy it is to get bothered about my temporary needs not being met, while at the same time being unconcerned about the spiritual condition of someone else. How many will admit you got a little bit of Jonah in you? Or you can get ticked off because your little creature comfort just didn't get met. And... Um, I get convicted at the different times I've gone into Starbucks and uh, my caramel, my bente caramel macchiato was taking too long to get made and they wrote my name D-U-G. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and you just get bugged by certain things. And um, instead of reminding myself, somebody just made me coffee and got it to me probably in less than five minutes. But boy, we can sure get bothered. And boy, we can sure forget about who the person behind the counter is, that they're a human being that matters to God. I've been on airplanes before where I've sat down and then somebody sat down and we got the middle seat between us. And I'll just tell you, I've prayed this prayer before and so have you. Lord, let them not see this empty seat because I would really like my creature comfort right now. And I'm not really um, concerned about a human being being next to me. I'd rather have empty space next to me. And then somebody sits there and I'm bugged. And um, that convicts me. Because sometimes it's a divine appointment. But I'm more concerned about my comfort than someone's spiritual condition and I should know better, and so should you. And we, we do this all the time. Right now we're starting life groups. Some of you are evaluating whether you're gonna be in one or not, and you're basing it on whether you, it's comfortable for you. I'm, I'm telling you, when you live under the ownership of Jesus Christ, you don't gauge your decisions on what's most comfortable, you gauge it on what will bring Christ's likeness into your life. And we need each other. And we sometimes need to be in circles like this where we tell each other stories about where we kind of got off track and somebody needs to just remind us, you know what, praise God, he'll forgive you, praise God, he'll get you back on track, but come on, let's live with fullness of life. Life is too short to think like that. Life is too short to be so concerned about a coffee, about a seat, an empty seat, about my creature comforts, about being too hot. Do you know that Jonah got mad that it was too hot? You know, God, it just went about 92. I have a, I have a right now to be angry all day long. And so this story convicts me. God says to Jonah, I'm concerned about 120,000 people, and you're concerned about a vine? You're concerned about the weather? You're concerned about some people getting something that you didn't think they deserved, and that ticks you off? I'm concerned about the city and the cows. <laughs> All right? It challenges me to remember that the Lord's best for my life in this church not only involves me enjoying God's grace, because that is part of it, we are to enjoy it, God's grace and favor, but it also involves me sharing, say sharing, God's grace and favor with others locally, regionally, and globally. When I live as an owner, I act as if people owe me. When I live as a manager, I'm open to do what God wants me to do. And if God wants to send me to Nineveh, then I book the first trip to Nineveh that I can get on. If God wants me to sit in an airplane next to a person rather than an empty seat, then I should start my day and say, God, whoever you want me to interact with today, help me see them. Because my best life and fullness of life is not just about me enjoying, it's about me sharing. And sometimes that person doesn't want to talk to you, but the other side is sometimes that person was sent by God. If God can send a worm, God can send somebody to sit in the middle seat and maybe they have a word for you. And maybe the day that you're actually all hot and bothered is the day somebody needs to say something to you, and so you might want to just pull the earbuds out and take the headphones off and just say, God, if you've got something to say to me, I'm a captive audience for the next three hours on this flight. I'm open to hear from you. That wouldn't be a terrible thing to do. But mostly, I want you to think about this. 
God has plans for those of us that have received grace to share grace. And we don't just come to church and celebrate grace. We walk out of the walls of this building and we become grace in this world. My friends, we are Christ's hands extended. We are his mouthpiece. We are his eyes. And life is too short. And if we can't remember that this week, we're just simply not going to get it. But if we get it into our spirit this week, we remind ourselves life is short, but God will still use it. I'm imperfect, but God will still use me. There's divine appointments that God wants to bring into my life. And if he can, if he can you know, command a fish and he can command a worm, then he can command my life to show up in front of somebody else's life. And maybe I don't do the whole thing, but at some point the Bible says somebody's out there planting, somebody's out there watering, and somebody's out there harvesting. God, if you want to put me at the beginning of the journey, and all I do is plant some good seeds, and people know that I'm a Christian, and so my actions become good seeds into their life. Like, they actually see I'm a good worker. I have a good attitude. I show up at work at time. I do my homework. I'm on a team doing my part. I'm not, you know, a slacker. I, you know, like, like, that becomes good seed to some people. And then sometimes I get to water, and maybe I get a little bit of time to have a conversation with a person, and maybe a word of prayer with a person. And sometimes I get to be at the end of the whole thing where somebody is wrestling with the loss of a celebrity and thinking about their own mortality. And then in a moment, maybe this upcoming week, you actually say, have you, have, have you ever thought about that for your life? What if today is the day that you got right with God because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring? And what if you had that conversation this upcoming week because it might happen? And I just want us to be clear from today that fullness of life in Christ involves enjoying and sharing. Enjoying and sharing. Receiving and giving. You're under new management. You're under new ownership. Let's begin to look and act like Jesus tomorrow, this afternoon, even if your team loses. <laughs> All right. Act like a Christ follower. Some of you get too depressed over the score. That's a different message. Last one. This story encourages me to know how much the Lord has been working on other people and he wants to use me in spite of me in reaching them with his love and grace. You know, Jonah comes into this very wicked city. He walks through this whole city and the whole city gets saved. That's not normal. For a city to get saved on the message of one sermon. What that tells you is God's been working on this city before Jonah ever got there. And I want to tell you something, God's always been working on people before any of us ever get there. God's always working on my heart, and God's always working on your heart, and, and then he, if he wants to use us, he will use us in our imperfection. Do you realize how imperfect Jonah was, and do you realize how imperfect his methods were? He's actually preaching a message, but he doesn't want to, so his motives aren't even right, and yet God uses him even with imperfect methods. Come on, some of you are not opening yourselves up to God using you because you're afraid you don't know enough of the Bible, you're afraid you're going to mess something up, you're afraid you're imperfect. Well, welcome to the ways of God. God uses imperfect people all the time, and he'll use imperfect methods because at the end of the day, it's not about your wise and persuasive speech, but a demonstration of his spirit's power, working in and through imperfect people, and that encourages me. I am not guaranteed tomorrow, and neither are you, but I'm going to give my imperfection to God and let him put it into, into use. And even when I don't do it the way I might have needed to have done it or could learn to do it better, I'm not going to let that hold me back. Because fullness of life involves the fact that God is wanting people to come to fullness of life with me. God is concerned about cities. 
And my friends, we live in a, a valley filled with tens of thousands of people who do not have the grace of Jesus Christ living inside of them. And there's cows, <laughs> all right? <laughs> but there's people. And um, this week, I wonder if there's some divine appointments God's put on our calendar, and I hope we show up with the right attitude, with the right frame of mind, because life is short. And I, I want us to be fully alive and fully engaged in the work of Jesus Christ in this part of the world, in our lifetime. And so if you receive that today, would you just say that with your hands and then let me pray over you today. And Thank you, Lord, that some human being didn't sanitize the book of jo Jonah, take it out of the Bible because it's embarrassing. Because thousands of years later, it brings me conviction, it challenges me, and it encourages me. And I believe it's done the same to people today. Lord, you care about people. You care about every person in this room, every person listening online. If you're here today or listening to me online and you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, today is the day. Come under new ownership. You need to be forgiven. You can't forgive yourself. You got sins in your life that you can't take care of, but the blood of Jesus Christ will wash away every sin. And all you gotta do is say, Jesus, I accept that. I accept your grace. I accept that you're gonna give me something I don't deserve, and I couldn't earn it in a lifetime, but you're giving it to me for free, and I accept it, and I come under new ownership. Today, I'm declaring my allegiance to you. And Lord, for all of us that already walk in forgiveness, help us walk today in stewardship. Help us live out management under your ownership in such a way that we see people differently, we respond to things differently, we have a different mindset. Yes, life is short, but we're not afraid. Yes, death will come to every one of us, but, but we know heaven is our home. We know that loss is part of this world, and yet we're gonna bring comfort to people who experience it. We're gonna have, have words of encouragement for people that are going through difficulty. We are going to be salt and light in this world. We, we, the Church of Jesus Christ, you put us on this planet to be the hope of the world through your name, and we're not gonna miss that opportunity. We are not gonna live below the potential of fullness of life in Christ, because all we are doing is living on the receiving end of this. We are gonna be on the giving end of it this week, and Lord, we're just declaring to 2020, we're showing up to divine appointments. We're seeing people differently. We're gonna have attitudes that reflect you. Yeah, some days are not gonna be perfect days, but we're going to still get up the next day and say, you know what, today is another day that is the Lord's, and I surrender to your purpose, and I don't believe I got the better plan, God. You have the better plan, and I'm going to live out your purpose today. Help me with the power that I need to be the person you called me to be. And so, Jesus, even the next few minutes of worship, instill that deep in our spirit. Let us walk out of here ready to live out the implications of we are under new ownership. In Jesus' name I pray. If you're ready to worship the Lord just a little bit, let's say that with our hands too. Thank you, Lord. Amen.